0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News, Jonathan Carl, And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. So Rick, uh, a lot of news to get to this week. It is International Week uh, in many ways at the White House. We've, got, uh, we've had visits already from the, uh, the President of Egypt. We've got the King of Jordan. And of course, uh, at the end of the week down in Mar-a-Lago, uh, the President of China. Uh, So much else going on. Uh, The president's going to make an effort uh, to revive health care, it seems, or at least there are talks, uh, talks, health care, and we're going to be talking to a key member of the Freedom Caucus, or actually, I should say, former member of the Freedom Caucus, Ted Poe, who was so outraged at what they did to kill that bill that he left the Freedom Caucus. He's back to talk to us shortly to see if they can actually get this thing back on track. That's right, and,
1: and an interesting development because so much was said in the immediate aftermath about the Republican Party uh, at war with itself. We also have big developments in the in the continuing storyline of the Russia uh, election hack and meddling in the in the election. This time, the White House on offense, going after Susan Rice, a familiar name in conservative Susan circles. Susan Rice back in the news, back in the news, and and not in a good way. Uh, the, a little bit of defense for the Obama folks on that, and an opportunity for the for the Trump folks. Although I think the facts. Uh, essentially um, are are unchanged on that. Uh, But as you say, International Week, and and wouldn't you know it, there's a big international crisis out there that's confronting this president.
0: Yeah, and I think this is in many ways, um, I mean, it's certainly, unfortunately, the story of the week, it may be the story so far, proved to be of the Trump presidency. Uh, We saw a major chemical weapons attack. Actually, there have been three, but the biggest uh, overnight uh, in Syria, um, apparent chemical weapons attacks, suspected sarin gas, uh, suspected uh, air attack by the Syrian regime. And Rick, I, I've got to tell you, besides the absolute heartbreaking images coming out of, of people uh, dying as a, as, a, as a result of this attack, the, the thing to me that is just so tragic here is... Syria, which is the humanitarian crisis of our time, we were told time and time again by the outgoing administration that the one silver lining to that unmitigated disaster in Syria was that at least they got rid of their chemical weapons. You remember, the red line was crossed. Uh, President Obama did not attack after the red line was crossed because... He had struck a deal with the Russians to force Syria to voluntarily give up its chemical weapons. And now look at this, the worst chemical weapons attack that we have seen in Syria yet. And dozens of, of, of dead, uh, I think 11 children at
1: least. It, it, they're awful scenes. And the pictures are just heartbreaking and, and disgusting. And I, it, to me, it, it, it goes back to uh, a couple of points that, that I think are important to remember, that for all of the chaos of these first 75 days or so of the, of the Trump era, the, the world stage has been relatively quiet. That seems to be changing right now. And then on the matter of policy, we have seen widespread condemnation, sharp words about the Assad regime and the need for the Assad regime to go delegitimizing itself with attacks like this. We haven't seen that kind of response from the White House. And John, you're over there. You're talking to folks. Do you get the sense that they're pulling some punches here?
0: Well, we heard heard some condemnation today from Sean Spicer in an off-camera briefing, and we heard some tough... Uh, words about Syria from Nikki Haley on Sunday before the attack, but I got to tell you, you know, one, one uh, quote that has certainly gotten a lot of play in the wake of this attack is what we heard from, uh, from Rex Tillerson, from the Secretary of State, who said of Assad that uh, when asked directly if Assad needs to go... He said, "The longer-term status of President Assad will be decided by the Syrian people." That, by the way, is exactly the language that Assad himself and his regime uses. That is exactly the language uh, that the Putin government has used about who should lead in in Syria. Uh, it had been the long-standing policy, a policy that was admittedly uh, not carried out in any meaningful way, but it had been the long-standing policy of. The United States government, even before the, the, the first use of, of chemical weapons, that, that, that Assad must go. And now, just before this chemical attack, we hear the Secretary of State for the United States saying basically, eh, up to the Syrians.
1: It's it's an amazing comment. And the White House has tried to explain it a little bit and talk about the, the short term and the realistic term, realistic goals of the United States here and they've also pointed the finger quite a bit at President Obama and they of course have a point about the red line and the and the cross red line and, and, and they do have the a situation point. now. Sure. They do have a certainly point. do. Uh, but I think I mean, you made the connection to Putin and I think the Russia piece of this is is part of the suspicions. You even have Republicans on Capitol Hill who are calling for a lot stronger words in in, in addition to actions from the president. You know, another another line from the president just today on Tuesday, that uh, you know, in a different, slightly different context, he says, "I don't want to be president of the world," and that seems to reflect a mindset, uh, a major shift in, a, in American policy towards Syria, yes, but also toward other potential humanitarian of course, crises. Yeah. And this, this is this is the the Trump administration being tested on the world stage, and the response so far has not been as strong as other world leaders or even their fellow Republicans in Congress. Well,
0: this. Administration. And Donald Trump himself as a candidate, even before he was officially a presidential candidate, made it clear that he doesn't believe that it is the United States that should be going around uh, judging other countries for their human rights records. Uh, He's invoked America First as a tagline for his administration. Of course, the original America First uh, movement didn't even want to uh, see the United States involved in World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is not going to be a... Uh, in administration, we knew this uh, from the minute uh, uh, Donald Trump won the election. This would not be an administration that would put human rights in, in, a, in at the center of its uh, global uh, goals like Jimmy Carter did. Not going to put pro-democracy at the center of its uh, of its international agenda the way uh, George W. Bush did. Um, and, you know, was going to have, uh, you know, an approach like, well, we're, we're going to be concerned with what's going on in our own backyard. Not necessarily. Uh, what's what's happening uh, around the world now? Though a chemical weapons attack is something that truly shocks the conscience, and it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what we hear when we finally do hear from the president himself. Yeah, is he and- going to sound more like Nikki Haley, who was condemning Assad over the weekend, uh, an interview with George uh, on this week, or is he going to sound more like his Secretary of State?
1: Uh, it's a great question. And it comes at a time where people are trying to figure out how this how this White House is going to conduct itself on the world stage. Jared Kushner uh, making that trip to Iraq, not the Secretary of State making that uh, the trip there before uh, Rex Tillerson, as a matter of fact. And as this parade of uh, of world officials comes through, capped, as you mentioned, by President Xi of, of China, how does the Trump White House handle these things? We know what they said on the trail. We know what he continues to say now over the first three quarters of the first hundred days. But it's crises like this that, that really test it and test the conscience and test the resolve because
0: those images are awful and and what's happening in Syria is unconscionable, and, and you can imagine you know that uh, for instance you know going beyond the, the larger issue of, of what the United States pushes for the meeting with uh, with President Xi China, uh, meetings. Under the second president Bush, often put human rights in China at, at kind of a you know kind of front and center, or not not necessarily front and center, but certainly a a major part of the agenda. We were told uh, during that administration that that the issues were raised in every major meeting. Um, they were you know they were raised by by the Obama administration. They didn't maybe have a, a, as as you know maybe not as central a a, a place in in the agenda. Um, but that'll it'll be interesting. There's so many. <laughs> big issues that this White House has to deal with China and I'm not even just talking about about trade we've got uh, you know real concerns um, accelerating concerns about about North Korea um, including uh, fears now that that not only uh, does the regime of Kim jong-un uh, uh, possess nuclear weapons and is very busy at work and trying to find a way to uh, uh, to, to accelerate its um, its missile program, but may also be developing a, a hydrogen bomb as well. So um, I- intense focus. And, you know, Rick, um, we, we, we really don't know how this president and how this White House is going to deal with its first real international test. And I think that that's what we're gonna find out. I think that's exactly right. I think that's that exa- and, and, and this is this is critical understanding Trump because we
1: we have to understand where his own red lines in his head are the world wants to know that. The world wants to know where he puts these lines down. And uh, I think you've seen a Secretary of State so far who has not really established a, a voice on the world stage. You mentioned Nikki Haley at the UN who's a lot more active and vocal in condemnation of atrocities or, or wrongdoing than others. You have the questions of Russia that overhang. It does land with the president. He is the president and it, it's his it's his opportunity. And it's just one of the many areas where you see an evolution between easy campaign rhetoric about us having to know our, our place and
0: putting America first. Those are great slogans, but now the world looks to the United States for leadership. And in the meantime, we have this major domestic challenge here of getting the president's agenda through Congress. And this talk of reviving the effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. So, as we promised, we are joined now by Congressman Ted Poe of Texas, uh, a former erstwhile member of the Freedom Caucus. Congressman, thank you for joining us. Certainly. So, I got to ask you, I mean, you, you were there, you were there with the Freedom Caucus, a member of the Freedom Caucus, as the Freedom Caucus brought down or at least appeared to bring down the uh, the Republican health care bill. You, of course, were supporting it and ended up leaving the Freedom Caucus. But now there's all this talk of, you know, the president's playing golf with Rand Paul and the vice president's meeting with the Freedom Caucus. Is this health care bill going to come back from the dead?
2: I think there may be a resurrection of some type of health care bill um, either this week or when we get back in two weeks.
0: How, how does that, uh, how, how would that happen? This week, I mean, I guess you'd have to have a... We're not talking about exactly the same bill, right? We're talking about some changes.
2: There will be some changes, but it's basically the same bill. Uh, I think some people have are beginning to understand that no bill, no repeal or replacement bill uh, is going to be the bill they want. Um, but uh, enough people, hopefully, will decide that it's time to... Uh, have a, a bill that has a majority of things that uh, we want uh, and vote for that. But many of the things that are still being talked about were things that were talked about before. So I don't know that it's going to be a whole lot of difference, uh, but maybe some people will change their mind and now support the bill.
1: What has changed? I mean, you were, you were frustrated a couple of weeks ago that, that some of your colleagues didn't seem uh, to want to get to yes. We had reports of moved goalposts throughout and uh, obviously the, the refusal to support ended up uh, with, with Speaker Ryan pulling the bill at President Trump's request, or at least acquiescence. It, it, did that scare people? Is, it, is all this cajoling by the president making a difference? What what is changed in the dynamics that allows negotiations to happen now that didn't happen two weeks ago?
2: Well, as my opinion, and part of the reason I left the Freedom Caucus was uh, that when we met with the president and the vice president for over an hour and a half, The president was very accommodating to making changes, and he made three or four changes. But it got to the point uh, that I was convinced that no matter what changes were made, there were some people that were never going to vote for yes. Uh, And I think maybe the president sensed that, and then the meeting was over with. Uh, But now there are uh, discussions with those same people. Uh, Vice President Pence is talking to Freedom Caucus members uh, I'm not a member of that group anymore, so I don't know what's being said. But I think it's uh, more of the same, but with some changes that uh, people would accept. And also talking to the moderates in the Republican Party to see if they will accept some changes that maybe they were in favor of before. So uh, we'll get. I think we'll have another uh, bite at the apple. We'll uh, vote on this basically same bill. But there will be some changes that will be accommodating uh, to the Freedom Caucus and to the moderates, I think.
1: So one key piece of this, uh, if 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 the chairman of the caucus, Mark Meadows, is to be believed, is to to essentially do away or let states decide for themselves how they want to handle some of these health insurance standards, including one important one that uh, that limits how much more you can charge individuals of the same age. That essentially ensures the people with preexisting conditions get coverage. Are you concerned that doing away with that piece of it? means you break the promise about making sure that people with pre-existing conditions, children, adults, anyone with, with anything pre-existing, is, are able to get coverage?
2: Pre-existing conditions um, will, will probably uh, be in the bill. The Republicans made that promise that pre-existing conditions would stay in, the, stay in any repeal or replace, made the promise that uh, kids can stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26, and, um, 30% of the country has pre-existing conditions. I am one of those individuals. I think the Republicans are going to keep keep their promise with that. If they take that out, there's not going to be uh, that. I don't see any bill that takes out pre-existing conditions is going to pass.
0: So looking beyond health care, you, 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 we've seen that your former colleagues in the Freedom Caucus uh, uh, were able to keep this bill from passing, at least when they were going to do it. Um, but are they going to continue to be a problem for Paul Ryan on, on things like as basic as government funding, um, raising the debt ceiling? Um, what, what? What? I mean, if you can't even come to agreement on repealing Obamacare, something all Republicans have campaigned on, what's, what's going to happen with the next series of legislative uh, battles?
2: Well, I hope that... Uh... The Freedom Caucus uh, um, gets a a seat at the table, so to speak. That's really the history of the Freedom Caucus that they weren't, uh, we weren't uh, uh, brought to the table on discussions of legislation through the Republican Conference. Um, And I think that has changed uh, more dramatically now, um, even these last few weeks, uh, that they are brought to the table. And that was the purpose: they get get their input. Uh, to the speaker and to leadership, as everybody does in the Republican caucus. But at the end of the day, my friends, and they're all my friends in the Freedom Caucus, uh, need to understand that they're not going to get their purest bill, no matter what it is, uh, because that bill will never pass. So hopefully they will get 80 uh, percent and support a bill that has 80 percent of what they, they want. And I hope that it continues with the next piece of legislation, because this legislation, whether it's tax reform or whether it's immigration or whether it's a debt ceiling, uh, whether it's the CR, it's not going to get any easier uh, to make decisions on. So if they get, we all get on the same page in the hymnal and support legislation, um, that is, you know, 80 percent of what what we want.
1: So, Congressman Poe, I, I, was, I was curious your take on this, because one of the things Speaker Ryan said in the aftermath of pulling the bill a couple weeks ago, was basically these are growing pains. We're learning how to be a governing party. That struck me as odd, uh, in part because, as you well know, uh, you were you were there before a lot of your your uh, your compatriots in the in the Freedom Caucus who took over Congress in, in 2010. You've had control of Congress for the entire decade now. What is it that wasn't learned in that in, in that first six years or so? that has been learned now that you have a Republican in the white house was, was it that folks didn't have an interest in governing before?
2: I think, uh, votes, uh, mean something really now. Uh, we knew that we passed in legislation in the Republican conference. We passed a lot of legislation out of the house. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't, it didn't go out, uh, get out of the Senate. And of course we knew that the president and much of that, uh, legislation was never going to sign it. So, um, we have really been uh, opposing uh, the last administration for the last eight years, and and some some people have gotten in the opposition mode so well that they uh, have not learned that hey we got to govern now it's time to govern and and saying no is no uh, is it, not leading and it's not governing and, and we got to figure out a way to say yes so we can move forward make pass uh, important conservative legislation and continue to say yes, not continue to be the opposition party. And to some extent, um, the Freedom Caucus seems to be the uh, opposition party in the Republican Party. Uh, and that, that's really unfortunate. But everybody needs to be heard. And then at the end of the day, um, vote for legislation that moves the country forward where we can uh, can lead. And we haven't had this really opportunity where Legislation will become the law of the land uh, in many years,
0: Congressman, We know you have to go, but before you do one one last question, we saw the President after the health care bill was pulled uh, say that he 's going to go after uh, hold members of the freedom caucus accountable, even uh, I- invoked uh, campaigning against members of the of the freedom caucus in two thousand and eighteen. If if your friends in in the in the Freedom Caucus continue to defy the president uh, in the way they did on health care, and if they don't get past that, do do you take the president at his word? Is he is he really going to go after uh, individual Republicans and, and try to defeat them in primaries?
2: It seems to me that the the talk of the president is is, uh, is more rhetoric than it is anything else, and. Uh, uh, he, he was just he's trying to get the attention of those people who don't support him. Uh, but uh, I don't know that he would actually uh, campaign against people who vote uh, against uh, his policies in the Republican Party. So you don't uh, think
0: he's serious about about holding them accountable?
2: No, I don't. Uh, uh, when, when he when he met with us, he was very personal and he made the comment that the Freedom Caucus members are his friends and they and they're still his friends. Uh, So I I think, uh, uh, you know, we're all Republicans, and I I don't see that that's going to really happen. But it's the president's way of saying, hey, I want your attention to uh, support legislation, support the presidency, and uh, move uh, move the agenda forward. And I think that was the purpose of those comments.
0: All right, Congressman Ted Poe, Republican of Texas, thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. Talk to you again soon.
2: Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, Rick. John?
0: All right. So, uh, Rick, we'll, we'll see. Um, uh, we'll see about that. That, that. That's kind of an intriguing um, possibility. Yeah. Uh, I president. mean, it's it,
1: an unexpected one. And mm-hmm. I think it's telling that Congress and Post says that, that members of Congress, when speaking for himself at least, didn't really take the president seriously on that threat because the, the story in the immediate aftermath was Republican Party at war. And the, the threat, was i'm going to work with democrats and i'm going to work against republicans it might it may be that that was part of the negotiating that the president was engaged in that he just wanted to get them back to the table if that fear is what drove the freedom caucus back and we're now having negotiations that kind of sort of should have happened maybe a couple of weeks ago would have made more sense then and rather than that that debacle but health back health
0: back but rick do you, you think it's going to pass this time Oh wow! Are you going to get me on the record on this yeah, again? Yeah. Seriously, you're going to, yeah, okay, going to do this all. We're going to do this all over again. Let's run through I, this first of all. Do you think there you think there really truly is going to be another vote in the house? Not I mean, this
1: week. I don't think there's any way. And I, I think I think they need to let this marinate. Let some language go out. And they've got this uh, this Easter recess coming up, and when they come back, I I do think there'll be another push at it. But look, you, you just the same problems with the numbers are are there now and uh, I think we've we've talked to a couple people on this show and elsewhere that have talked about every time you add one on one side, you lose one on the other. I don't think it changes. I don't think that you can sprinkle some magic Trump dust to change the votes on this one. I think this is just going to be one of these cursed issues for the Republican conference.
0: They're not going to be able to pass it. All right. Well, Rick, that is all the time we have left for powerhouse politics. I can't believe it's already over. Thank you for listening, and Thank you for subscribing to Powerhouse Politics. Please tweet at us at Rick Klein at John Carl. Subscribe, give us a whole bunch of stars and a good rating. And uh, thank you to our our acting executive producer this week, Ryan Kessler. Wow, a cameo! Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened to Ryan. Do you? Hey, you know he's back. It's all that matters. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.